Wonderful. So let me just get to my drush. Here we are. So I have to say, if, I, if I'm being very honest, um, this morning was hard for me. I got a, a call from my parents saying, don't worry, we're okay. And I thought, what are you talking about? I know you're okay. You're at home. You've been home for all of these weeks. And they said, have you seen the news? I said, no. And I looked on the news and uh, probably not a surprise to you from, from hearing this, that my parents live in Minneapolis. And uh, I hadn't seen how, how, uh, how much things had escalated overnight. And it was really heart-wrenching to um, both hear their sadness about uh, what, what's been happening in, in that city and, and to see for myself a place that I love um, that, again, is a place where there's been another senseless death of a black man by the hands of police. His name, as I think many of you know and have heard by now, was George Floyd. And his death has added to the outrage that is felt by so many that the undercurrents of racial discrimination in America are, are shaking a tremendous fault line that seems like it might just tear the country asunder. I pray that the rioting of the past uh, two nights really is not repeated again tonight, but I must admit that I'm nervous. Now, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis came only a few days after another troubling incident in New York City. There in Central Park, a woman, Amy Cooper, was walking her unleashed dog in Central Park in an area that requires dogs to be leashed. Christian Cooper, a man, no relation to Amy Cooper, by the way, was there to birdwatch. He approached her and told her to leash her dog. And she refused. So they got into an argument and eventually she indicated she was going to call the police. He was taping her with his phone while this was going on, and she said to him, I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. The video went viral. These two incidents, and they are two among many, but they are interesting to me in the way in which they reflect two very contrasting ways in which we see the persistence of racism in society. The first is really clear and in your face. The excessive force used against George Floyd is the consequence we know of systemic racism that has allowed policing to take place on two very different levels depending on the community and the identity of the person who is being encountered. The frequency with which these kinds of cases are taking place reflect really what I see as an utter failure of justice. Case in Central Park was terrible, but for a different reason. 
I think that this kind of situation might happen all of the time, but rarely do we see it reflected back to us in video. It was so clearly articulated that for many of us, I think it smacked us in the face. We hear the term white privilege all of the time, but it was so plainly articulated by this woman who knew that the race of the man she was talking to and arguing with could be used as a card against him to her own benefit. It's very complicated, and yet it is so important for us to talk about. And before we get ahead of ourselves and look at these two cases through a distinction of US versus Canada, let us not be so haughty as to say that we have no issues with racism here in our own front yard. We know that we are not immune to racism here in Canada. And that in fact, in Vancouver this year alone, there has been a significant increase in anti-Asian hate crimes in our city. Some of the incidents include offensive graffiti on the Chinese Cultural Center, a verbal and physical assault on an elderly man in a convenience store, and another assault on an Asian woman on Granville. Last night at our Tikkun Leil Shavuot, our opportunity to study together as we approach Shavuot, I joined with other rabbinic colleagues here in Vancouver to reflect on an interview with Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel from 1972. It was amazing to watch this interview, which incidentally was conducted only a few weeks before his death. I've long admired Rabbi Heschel for his teachings, which have heavily impacted my own spiritual growth, and for his activism, especially in the civil rights movement. If you were unable to join us last night, I think that the session is recorded and available on our temple website video page and on our YouTube page. It's, it's worth checking out. But in this interview, we saw one clip in which Heschel explained to the journalist the reasons for his opposition to the Vietnam War. He couched it in the language of prayer, something that was central to his life as a Jew, something that uniquely brought him closer to God. He said this, how can I pray when I have on my conscience the awareness that I am co-responsible for the death of innocent people in Vietnam. And then he explained why he, the man who had persuaded Martin Luther King to oppose the war, could be co-responsible. He said this, in a free society, some are guilty, all are responsible. Some are guilty, all are responsible. Some people are guilty of harassment. Some people are guilty of violence against black people in America. Few, but 
all are responsible. Some people are guilty of hate crimes against Asians in Canada. Some, few, but all of us are responsible for the prejudice simmering in our society. Carol Liao, a UBC law professor, recently wrote an opinion piece for CBC News about the trajectory of Asian American anti-Asian racism in our, com in our community. She wrote this, as difficult as it may be, it is time for us to recognize both the overt and systemic racism that has long simmered in this city and the levels of complicity that have enabled it. Plenty of attention is given to the perpetrators of hate, but we cannot minimize the trauma contributed by public ambivalence. Apathy has never alleviated racism and claiming to be colorblind can perpetuate inequalities. Purposeful and concerted actions of many people are necessary to change the trajectories of our histories. There must be education and awareness, interventions and activism. Our Torah portion for this Shabbat Nassau deals with guilt. It says, should a man or woman commit any of the human offenses to betray the trust of the eternal, that person shall bear guilt. Now, the text is a bit obscure. It seems to come out of nowhere. But it's generally understood that the human offenses that are brought up in this one verse consists of defrauding another person and that betraying the trust of the eternal means lying about it under oath. The Ger Rebbe, the great Hasidic dynasty, interpreted this text more broadly. He said, any breach of faith toward another is an offense against God who commands justice and whose image is found in every human being. Since the Torah commands us to pursue justice and tells us that we are all made in the image of God, injustice against anyone is an action against God. And the Gera Rebbe continues, when I violate the trust of another human being, I defraud them, I steal their dignity, and sometimes I do much more. The Torah continues in the next few verses to explain the process of repentance, what the wrongdoer must do. And the first step, one that I think all of us can learn from, is to confess their offenses, but it's not a simple apology. The Hebrew here is hitvadu which is in the hitpa'el, or the reflexive mode of Hebrew verbs. This suggests that we must confess to ourselves the wrong that we have done. Before we can do anything to move forward with our tshuva, with our repentance, 
we must find our own responsibility in the state of our world. We must take responsibility for ourselves, for our biases, our chuckles at a joke, or our silence when faced with words that hurt. It's a long, hard process. There will be failures along the way. But as we learn from our celebration of Shavuot today, there's a reason that Torah was given to us in the harsh expanse of the wilderness. We can succeed at these efforts to take responsibility, to look at ourselves carefully, to see the responsibility that we must take. And we can do that by going back to that very wilderness where Torah was given. Rashi points out in his commentary about the giving of Torah that we read this morning, that the Israelites, when they camped at the base of Mount Sinai, that they camped in the singular, as one person with one heart. It's the only time in the entire Torah where the singular verb is used to refer to the entire Israelite community in camping. They were all together. Their unity let them receive Torah. Their unity allowed them to see themselves as connected, as made in the image of God. In that spirit, let us come together to carry out its teachings. Kenya Hiratzon, may this be God's will. Amen.